papermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. This would be the Media Project, a half hour of commentary and analysis, and on some really great days, insight into what's going on in the news media as viewed from this perspective here in the great Northeast. This will be one of those days. This will be yes, one of those we're days. we're very confident. You're an it. optimist. That's Ira Fussfeld. Judy Patrick is here. Dr. Alan Chartok and I'm Rex Smith, and we are very happy to be your aging but still perceptive analysts of news media, right? Is that us? Thanks speak. a lot, Rex. <laughs> speak for yourself, Rex. <laughs> he can speak for me. I'm aging. <laughs> well, you know, I just want to make the point that we're not hip. We're not woke. We're hip. Oh, we're, we're, hip? Ju we're just not newbies. That's it. We're veterans. I have, I have two new hips. Is that <laughs> I have no idea what, what the hell any of you are talking about. There we go. See, I rest my case. All right. So, Dr. Shartug, you get to start off today with this analysis. So talk about Fox News, Professor. Here's the question, and I will just give you a setup. The president last week went to Philadelphia to speak at the National Constitution Center, and he gave what people said is one of the most important speeches, a big speech about the ongoing assault on voting rights around the country. It aired live on CNN, MSNBC, across the web. Fox News didn't carry the speech live. And so here is the question that might be asked. When you look at what Fox News is these days, where they've been adding more commentary, you know, since the election, should we even be talking about Fox News as a news channel? Well, I don't like to talk about them, to tell you the truth. My mom would have said about Fox News, fee. Uh, yeah, is that, she would have said, you spell fee. Fee. Um, <laughs> Accent grave over the E. Yeah. Nero Wolf used to say that to the famous detective, <laughs> you may remember. But in any case, look, it's not a mystery. Murdoch has to protect his position on the right because he's afraid that if he doesn't do that, some worse people are going to come along and take his place and he'll be out money. Now, he is a pretty old man now, so this business about money may not be all that important, but... I suspect it is to him and to his boys. And so the answer to the question is it's all about money. Hmm. Well, I have a multi-part answer to this question. I don't see how we can not talk about Fox because it has such a huge influence on such a large number of people in this country. On the other hand, I sort of feel funny when I see, not on a show like this, which is to discuss media issues, but when I see Fox quoted on its competitors, because I, I, I remember, I probably have said this to Alan and many people over the years, is if you get a letter that's negative about you, your first response is to respond to that letter. And I always advise people not to respond because you only draw more attention to the original letter. And I think I'm a little surprised that there's so much content about Fox on its competitors because all you're doing is giving them more oxygen. By the way, I couldn't agree with you more. My long, painful history doing what I do is 
don't answer, don't answer. the folks who are really mean-spirited because it doesn't get you anything. Let's say you say, well, you're entirely wrong, and here, 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 and here. Well, they just have a wonderful sense of themselves, and then they write back 55 other times. Right. So if you leave them alone, they might leave you alone. Judy Patrick, anything to add to this? You know, it's gotten to the point where the only time I see Tucker Carlson nowadays is when he shows up on CNN or MSNBC as a short clip, which this cross-promotion seems odd to me. I like the idea of not considering them news sources. I mean, if there was a hurricane or a big building collapse in Florida or a major news event, who are you going to turn to? I think uh, proves the case during the Capitol insurrection back in January 6th. CNN had its highest ratings because people know when there's real news, you go to a real news source. I don't think Fox News, even in the non-commentary parts of their day, is news anymore because should they have covered the Biden speech? Yeah, everybody covered the Biden. If you're a cable news network, cover the Biden speech rather than, you know, whether or not somebody got hair transplants. I mean, right. it seems like that's what they've done. Yeah. Well, it's just primarily these days talk radio on TV. So you have to really ask yourself, what happened at the end with Trump? Was CNN covering all of the Trump outings? No, they weren't. Well, but he was campaigning. I mean, Biden, in his most recent speech, which is a major policy initiative that deserved the coverage that a, that an all-news channel should be able to give it. And Fox and the other two right-wing channels, OAN and Newsmax, ignored it. By the way, did you folks read that Fox is starting a weather channel? No. And, <laughs> yes. And so that's the response. Well, no, well, that's the funny thing, because you originally you read the first paragraph and you laugh, just as you did. <laughs> but it's got potential to be yet another right-wing vehicle if the weather analysis is no climate change. Oh, you're and so right. And there are going to be people who are going to believe it. And it's with another place where they had to drum this junk up. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, just uh, if you have relatives or loved ones who watch Fox News, please work on them. Try to convince them them that it's not good for their head. But it is back to being the most watched cable channel. Uh, it's back and forth, and it's a very aging audience. You know, uh, Alan, there are people even, I mean... I know where you're going, and I would advise you against it. <laughs> we don't even need to have a dialogue here, you know. Well, Alan has a birthday coming, and then in a week later, I have a birthday coming. So keep but an eye on the... you're not 80 years old. Not yet. I was going to skip two every year to catch up to you. Yeah. Well. You know, I take some solace in the idea that while Tucker Carlson's show may be number one on cable often, the broadcast networks like CBS Evening News and PBS, those get higher ratings. They get more audience share. So at least we've got that straw to hang on Let to. me see if I understand what you're saying here, Judy. Yeah. That means they get higher ratings than the cable outlets is what you're correct, saying. Correct. Broadcast mm -hmm. television is still more popular than cable. I have a question overall. for you. You stand for a question. I stand for a question. Why? Because it's more accessible. People are more used to it. Not everybody's got cable anymore, and it's money. That's interesting that because <laughs> of people are dropping their cable, they get this over-the-air air news, and that raises their numbers. You can get over-the-air a lot easier than you can get cable. So, you know, actually, by the way, we need to pay homage to our listeners. Somebody mentioned getting letters, Alan. You talk about the letters you get. Yeah. We have gotten some letters this week oh boy. that take uh, us to uh -oh. some interesting topics. Uh -oh. Terrence writes, policies about how journalists use social media are part of a bigger issue. How much should you be paying someone if you want the right to govern how they conduct their private lives? This is speaking of journalists here. For example, some journalists are told not to register with a political party. If I'm going to give up that or any other right when I'm off the clock, I will want at least double 
what I can get in the market right now. I'd sooner give a draft of my article to a source for approval than give up my right to associate as I choose on my own time. Well, that's always been a big issue, hasn't it, Ira? Well, it has been. If you don't want to follow those kinds of stringent rules in journalism, find yourself another place yeah, to work. Get out. Yeah. There's an interesting story that actually has nothing to do with social media. The, the New York Times has a longtime reporter named Karen Krause, C-R-O-U-S-E, who wrote a story about Michael Phelps, the Olympian swimmer. And it turns out that she and Michael Phelps are writing a book together. So the New York Times has now put out a statement saying if we had known this was going to be the case, we would never have assigned her Mm -hmm. this story. So, again, the instinct on management, correctly so at newspapers, is to not even have the appearance of a conflict of interest or an opinion. And this is going back to social media. These people should not be giving their opinion on social media, in my opinion. But a lot of them write books, don't they? I mean, I can understand the the idea that the person you're covering, (laughs) you don't want to write with him. But you you would have to tell an awful lot of people who work for the New York Times and other places that they can't write a book. Well, they can't be a partner. They can't associate them. Yeah, yeah. But if you can't be a a partner, but don't write about them, we're not going to assign you to write about them on our sheet. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Hey, hey, you know, but let's give a a shout out to underpaid reporters. I think we all should pay reporters more. But that being said, my friends were always very annoyed with me at dinner parties or whenever that I would never talk politics. I kept my mouth shut on my political leanings because I was a journalist and I wasn't going to discuss politics. I I don't know. You know so much, Judy. You are so bright. But, 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 but. there's, there's There's no but. It's just that. You know, if I went to a, we a, a, have dinner, a dinner party, party with sometime, the, with the, ex- with the exalted <laughs> Judy, I, I must say, I would expect you to tell us everything. That is admirable restraint. I think that's terrific, actually. You don't shut up, do you, at dinner parties? Uh, in a private setting with friends, I'm voluble, I guess you might say. But I have had friends who have objected to the fact that knowing me is of no value to them exactly. when I was the editor of the paper. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I don't mean that general. Don't, don't be so quick to jump on that, Alan. <laughs> I mean, no value to them journalistically. Uh, I had a friend who ran a very good not-for-profit who said he would rather not be my friend if he could get more coverage in the Times Union. Sure. I think this friendship deal is a very deep subject. I, I had very few friends mm. when I was the editor, and I decided it and was... Now? Be- <laughs> now? Now, by choice, I go at home and I don't leave. So now I'm just a hermit. No, I, I think, you know, maybe they wouldn't have wanted to be my friend anyway, but I was very careful about it. So most of my friends are my wife's friends. Well, yeah, that could be just being a guy, you know. Well, it could be, but I, I just felt I didn't want to get close to people in the business community, particularly because it could create an issue. It and does. In fact, I did have an issue with one, and I'm not going to get into it here, but it essentially ended our friendship. I would always tell reporters, your sources aren't your friends. Have other friends. And it actually makes them better reporters because they have people who have interesting things happening in their lives that are non-journalistically related. You know, my kids taught me something when I was quite a bit younger, which was there was a phrase, the use is on. Hmm. You know, the use is on. So if somebody is now all of a sudden your friend when you rise to the apex of your career, then the use would be on. The use meaning U-S-E or Y-O-U-S-E? Not use as in Brooklyn. Not Brooklynese, no, use. And I don't come from Brooklyn, so I don't speak that language. Okay. 
That'd be use our Upper West Side, don't you know? Use guys. (laughs) (laughs) Here's another letter from Tom who says... Wait, another letter from Tom? This is not the second letter. Here's another letter. This from Tom. (laughs) Sorry, the last one was Terry. Keep up, keep up. (laughs) All right. We spoke a couple weeks ago about reporting on crime and whether we uh, are overzealous in that. Reporting on a particular crime in such a way that it connects to the larger picture of crime as a social ill takes us beyond the blood and drama, the period stuff that you mentioned, and helps to illuminate said big picture, says Tom. Moreover, reading a story about crime in which I learn about the perpetrators, the victims, and the circumstances helps me to internalize that the blood and drama were very real for certain people. There but for the grace of God go I. We need to know what's going on. Crime reporting needs to be done right. Well, it's all in the right part of it. Uh It needs to be done right. Do we know what's wrong? Well, what's wrong is just uh, isolated coverage, period, right. It's just that not every story about every crime can have necessarily or deserves the big hoo-ha graph, the billboard paragraph. Sorry, just using a little shorthand there. I know I learn from you every day, Rex, but the hoo-ha is what? (laughs) (laughs) It's the nut, the the nut graph, the hoo-ha, the billboard. It's the third or fourth paragraph of the story that puts this all into perspective, that gives you what this is really all about. And this is going to be written by who? I mean, again, it's more in-depth than we have the time and the resources to do. Most police reporting is straight off of the police blotter, and it's done, and you're finished with it, and you move on to two or three other stories that you're working on. We wish we had time to get behind these crime stories. Yeah, that nut graph, I always explain it as a graph that explains to the reader why we're writing the story and why you should be reading it. So give us an example. So-and-so was arrested because the police are cracking down on... On On Johns and prostitution. Right, right. Or a homicide where, uh, you know, it's retribution for a uh, human trafficking ring or something like that. That obviously is depth and needs to go into it. But I think what this person is probably arguing is that a lot of crime has its roots in illegal narcotics trade, for example, or in poverty. And we can say that. I, I think that some readers take exception if we stretch for a reason behind a crime because poverty does not always lead to crime, nor does opioid use disorder always lead to crime. So I think it's difficult. You have to just be sure as a journalist that you're not inferring something that is not necessarily there, that you're not reading into or giving expertise when, in fact, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. But we we, we can all agree that it happens way too much in which, you know, basically, I don't know how to put this kindly, but an ignorant reporter gives an explanation which they're not entitled to give because they don't know. That's why I use the word ignorant. It takes time to get that not graph right and it takes an editor to point out that there's an ignorant reporter throwing something in that they don't know did you find yourself doing much of that judy not a lot of it but you do it certainly Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. oliver i mean we're we're, this is great we're getting this feedback from readers surprise surprise on the media project this past weekend it was a rebroadcast the topic of pronouns and gender came up to gracefully fix our systematically sexist linguistic he she fiasco writes oliver I've been doing my part to resurrect the use of THON, T-H-O-N, resurrected, I say, uh, as a gender-neutral singular pronoun, THON, maybe, and THONS, and THON-self. Hmm. What? (laughs) Blurb-length histories of THON in its usage from 1884, a tweak from its Scottish usage, can be found on the web at Merriam-Webster's site and elsewhere. So... 
How about that? That's a Scottish uh, tradition, huh? I've never heard of it. Before. I heard the program last week. I didn't think anyone was particularly critical of this question, but the question was, what are we supposed to do now? And it's it's evolving. Yeah, it's frustrating the, the they uh, when you're trying to be gender neutral, and they is obviously a plural pronoun. But you're talking about a singular person. Yeah, they, say, they is going to the store is just doesn't seem to work grammatically. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and Carol writes, Dear Media Project, please endeavor to remove the phrase you know from your vocabulary. Admittedly, you are not big time Jacques Hughes. Uh, our, our producer, <laughs> David Gustina, is pointing his finger at me. Admittedly, you are not big time offenders, big time, as far as quantity, but adding your you-knows to other podcasts in my list, it's enough to make the hair on my arm stand on end. Rex Smith just used the phrase four times in one excerpt of a story. <laughs> Please and thank you, Carol says. Wow. Oh, poor Carol. Well, yeah, but you know everybody. Ah, has... You just did it. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm being hypercritical. You are so right. <laughs> And that is so exemplary of Thank somebody you. who is, you know, guilty of themselves of trying to um, lay it off on somebody else. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, it used to drive me, see? <laughs> It used to drive me crazy about Hillary Clinton. She does it all the time. And I think it's not because she's not really smart. She doesn't have to use little elisions like that to put her thoughts together. I think she does it to make herself more personable. I think the reason that people do it is so that they can clear their brain uh -huh. while they're thinking of what the real answer that they should be giving is. And now you're making me terribly self-conscious <laughs> because I am going very well, slow. you don't say you know usually. You say, don't you know? Don't uh, you there know. you go. Because that's what Festus, Festus said. Yes. It's like when Ronald Reagan used to start every answer with, well... So if you want to have your thoughts shared on the Media Project, we are media at wamc.org, media at wamc.org, and we're very grateful to have your insights here. We are, of course, the Media Project from Northeast Public Radio, Alan Shartok, Ira Fussfeld, Judy Patrick, and I'm Rex Smith. Let's talk about not publishing. Ira used to be a publisher of the Daily Freeman in Kingston, New York, but we're talking here now about unpublishing unpublishing the news. Judy, as a former editor of the Daily Gazette, based in Schenectady, you can tell us what is meant by unpublishing anyway. So this especially deals with digital news, and it entails someone calling up or asking you to take down, to remove from, from your website or from the digital sphere some story that they find embarrassing or that has ruined their reputation or hinders them from getting a job or they just find it embarrassing. And so because digital news lasts forever and is so easily accessed, people make the argument that it's not fair to keep something up. If, for example, they've been cleared of a crime or if they've been divorced from the person you ran the wedding announcement from. So you get these requests and typically or historically newspapers don't like to change the record, to change history because we never changed it in our archives. But the difference here is our archives are very difficult to access and the digital world is far easier so it's a this is an evolving uh, sphere I, when I was an editor I would hardly ever do this but now I'm starting to see the light a little bit mm -hmm. well I think this is a terrific subject and it's one that we've all experienced and I think I know the way we did it and still do it to my knowledge and the way I believe it's done in most places is we do not take down the original story 
but we'd go back into the archive and put an editor's note on it saying, since the publication of this story, we learned or such and such happened or didn't happen, then the story is thus updated digitally. But I, as Judy points out, you don't do that because we can't do that in print, which is where most of us grew up. And our inclination is not to change something that we've already published, but we can update stuff that we've already published. Well, you don't want to alter the historical record. That is, you don't want to pretend that you didn't publish something that you did. In the old days, when you had only paper, you would staple the correction to yes. the clip. But increasingly, the pattern that people are following is to basically de-Googleize. So, <laughs> so it's, it's harder to find. It's not, yeah. The web crawlers cannot find the story. It still exists in your archive, but you would need to actually go into the archive to find it rather than simply searching, doing a name search. And that generally is the appropriate way to do it. We're bringing this up because there's some research being done uh, at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, on this. And the researcher finds that there is a veil of secrecy when it comes to unpublishing because nobody wants to admit that they're doing it. So newsrooms typically don't talk about this because once you start to make it clear that you will do this, once you let readers know, then you will get that request all the time. And you recall taking down stories at the TU? A number of times, really? and I'm sure that my successor now, Casey Seiler, has a, a more formalized written policy. We don't remove the stories from the archive, but we do delist them so that they can't be found by web crawlers. The problem really is in Europe, you, they have right to be forgotten laws. Yes. And so the danger is that that might happen here in the U.S., that legislative bodies might pass laws that require us to do this. In Europe, you know, the, you have a right to have your stuff taken off the web if you can make a certain case. It gets into conversations in the legislature because of criminal justice reforms that suggest that files should be cleansed, that people who are convicted of minor crimes and then stay on the right side of the law for a decade can get their criminal records expunged. And these expungement statutes then might leave the only record of a criminal conviction or an arrest in the media files. So people will come to you and say, well, if I'm cleared, then surely you should clear me if in the eyes of criminal justice you're cleared. The difficulty is there is a reason why these stories were newsworthy in the first place. And for us to make it seem as though these people weren't ever arrested is actually less than truthful. And if our job is truth-telling, this is just the way things are. But it's a hard decision. You don't want to leave somebody vulnerable to embarrassment if they've been living a good life for 20 years and there's this a record back when they were a 20-year-old person with... Uh, a marijuana arrest, Yeah, for exactly. But it happened. The arrest happened. It yes. was reported. You can't change history. You can update history. Well, should you? If, I don't think you should. There's a great line in the movie The Paper. You might remember that sure. movie with Glenn oh, yeah. Close, among others. And near the end of the movie, her newspaper is going with a story on the front page about the arrests of two young boys for a crime. And it turns out they learn as the press is starting to run that they weren't guilty. And there's a big argument about let's change what's on the front page. And Glenn Close's character says, we're right today and we'll fix it tomorrow. But as of the time they went to press, the story was accurate. And let's remember that's a fictional movie. It's a, it, well, it was, and it wasn't a great movie, but I oh. think newspaper people like it. Yeah, and we have, I had a couple of friends who were extras in it. Actually, I learned a great trick from that movie that I now will confess I used once on an attorney general of New York State whose name was Andrew Cuomo, uh, <laughs> who used to call journalists a lot. He used to be very accessible, yeah. let's say, oh, yeah. sometimes persistent and annoyingly so. And I learned this trick from a guy 
guy who did this to Glenn Close because she was the publisher, right? She was the managing editor. The managing editor. Robert Duvall was the top editor. She was next. And who is below her? The Michael Keaton. Yeah. So Michael Keaton did this great thing. He was on the phone with her, the cell phone, and he wanted to get off. And so he took a piece of paper and crumpled it up. And he said, oh, there's static on the line. And it sounded like static on the line, I guess. I don't know. So I tried that once when I was traveling, and I had Andrew Cuomo on the line. I hope that that's the That's truth. right. That you know, it reminds me a little bit. It's not appropriate to tell it here, but I will, of course. Anyway, <laughs> my brother used to get on the, uh, my twin, Lewis, used to get on the Amtrak. Uh, he didn't want anybody to sit next to him. So he would go into the men's room, and he would wet a paper towel, and he would stick it on the bottom of his shoe, and then when, so he didn't want anybody sitting in that next seat, he would cross his leg with the thing sticking. I thought one, you were going to say that. a short He didn't want anybody sitting next to him, so he put a little name tag that said Alan next I to him. I thought that was where you were going. That's where this is going to go. Yeah, very funny. What are we going to do, folks? Let's just go to a topic that we have talked about before, and that is the decline of newsroom employment. So the latest research suggests since 2008, newsroom employment in the United States has dropped by 26%. Now, that is news analysts, reporters, editors, photographers, television, video, film operators. This is newspaper, radio, television. So if you've lost a quarter of your journalists over the last dozen years, that's actually less than what I would have I was going to say, it sounds small. Yeah. So this makes me cry. And the other thing that makes me cry is the fact that the percentage of the whole who are newspaper people has declined dramatically. It used to be 60% of all the people in the media were working for newspapers. Now it's in the 30s. So that just shows the decline is bad, but the decline for newspapers is even worse. Yes. There's no crying in newspapers. (laughs) (laughs) If only. And what has gotten so much bigger, of course, is digital native. You know, over a dozen years, the purely digital performance was 6%. It's now 21%. But that, of course, in your newspaper, you're doing digital work. A newspaper is barely a print product anymore. The New York Times is a digital company that also happens to put out a print product for the small number of its uh, relatively small number of people who want that print product. So do you see a time when there will be no more paper product? Yeah. Mm -hmm. When there will be no more paper product or when paper products will be less regular. You know, oh, I did it again. Uh, Consider, for example, (laughs) (laughs) consider Life magazine, which you see on newsstands as you're leaving at the supermarket. They only do special issues. They only come out usually with Princess Diana or something like that. Who publishes that now? Good question. It used to be Time Life. I don't know. Is there such a thing? It may still be. You know, it was interesting, the radio employment has remained relatively steady over the years. Well, for good reason. Yeah, but that's because even in 2008, there was almost nobody doing news in radio. The only news you find in radio is public radio, I mean, relatively speaking. So it's only 4%. They they are having a lot of trouble, local radio, because there's not a lot of news in the newspapers that they get their stories. (laughs) (laughs) However, I I have to say, it's not for nothing that WAMC, this public radio station which we're appearing on, is now the number one, used to be number 13, number one. One in our in Judy, I think you're we right. almost reached the end of the program without you saying, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and this program has been brought to you from WAMC. We are very grateful to be here and grateful to you for tuning us in. A special thanks to Number the producer one. of the Media Project, David Gustina, Alan Shartok, Judy Patrick, Ira Fussfeld, and I'm Rex Smith. Thanks. We'll see you next week on the Media Project. You know. <laughs> <laughs> 
circulation, tingling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff, what a headache, what a mess, oh, publishers are such interesting people, let's give free cheers for freedom of the press. <laughs> 